I'm Tor Van Lingen, and I play Billy in the movie here. Hopefully I won't bore you guys to death. This is uh, Ken Wiederhorn. I'm the director of uh, Return of the Living Dead Part 2, which is uh, often mistaken for about five other movies. Sequels of sequels, originals, Night of the Living Dead. There's a tremendous amount of title confusion here. While we're uh, waiting for the action to start here, just kind of tell anybody who uh, might be interested, because if you're listening, uh, you probably are, you wouldn't bother. How I got the part, it was actually kind of a really wild process. I wasn't really an actor, and you'll notice if you check online that this is my one and only credit. (laughs) There was an ad in the local newspaper, for those of you who live in the Santa Clarita Valley, the lovely Signal. And it was just an open casting call. Anybody who wanted to come down and audition could come down for Michael's part, Jesse. There was an open casting call at the local park. I went down. I actually read for a couple lines for Jesse. They're coming up almost at the end of the movie, which I'll point out when we get there, hopefully, if I don't forget. Sherry Rhodes, the casting person that I dealt with, was smart enough to recast me. For those of you who like looking on the internet and finding out things, that 311 number on there, I went ahead and looked for you. It is a non-emergency access number, so someone did their homework. It's reserved for special applications. So after I was uh, redirected by Sherry to come down and uh, read for the part of Billy a couple of days later, I just kept getting called back. And I was amazed that I kept getting called back. I'm just this very average guy from a very average town. I, at the time I lived in Canyon Country, for those of you familiar with the Santa Cruz Valley, and they kept calling me back. And I met the director, Ken Wiederhorn, who also wrote this. We hit it off. I seemed to have the look that they were looking for, which as anybody who's worked in the business knows, that's more than half the battle. I remember that I was at a basketball game. I was on the bench, because that's where I belonged. I was five, six and pretty gangly. I've since sprouted to uh, 6'7", 280, so you can figure out why I don't work in this town anymore. I was sitting on the bench, and my mom kind of waved at me from the stands. A couple days later, we'd heard that it was down to me and one other guy. So my mom came down from the stands and told me that I'd gotten it, so I was really excited. How did I get involved in this? I was actually working on a script to get myself out of horror movies, a few of which I had already made at this point. Since I couldn't get arrested to do pretty much anything else, I decided that maybe the way to get out is to do a horror comedy. Comedy is what I was really interested in. I sort of fell into horror movies one day when I wasn't looking. I thought zombies were really funny. And since there always seemed to be a market for zombie movies, perhaps there would be some room for one that was comedic. I actually wrote this script in a workshop led by Robert McKee, who has now become fairly well known through the movie Adaptation. Back in the 1986 or 87, when I was working on this script, McKee was at that time running a small workshop that had about a dozen or so people in it. And I actually wrote the script for this with McKee's tutelage, believe it or not. I had another title. I had no success in getting anybody interested in doing it until I met up with a fellow named Tom Fox who had bought the title rights from George Romero to uh, Night of the Living Dead. So Tom Fox was the only one who could make a movie with the Living Dead title. And he had already made one film that Dan O'Bannon had written and directed, uh, Return of the Living Dead, which was a wonderfully humorous horror movie. 
very sharp, very satiric. I loved it. I thought it was great. Tom Fox got hold of my script, and he apparently was able to finance another Living Dead movie and offered to make my script if I agreed to call it Return of the Living Dead Part 2, which, of course, I immediately agreed to, even though I had no thoughts of uh, sequelitis in mind while I was working on it. Tom also wanted to cast two of the actors uh, from the original, Jimmy Caron and Tom Matthews, and they were had been in O'Bannon's movie. Well, he wanted Jimmy Caron in the movie, and we were trying to figure out how we could do that. I wanted to do a broad comedic movie, and uh, I thought, well, why don't we just have them, you know, go through it again, play themselves, so to speak. So that's what we did. Now, this is a very tough movie to make because of the problem of uh, working with kids. And most of the movie takes place at night, even though right now we're looking at a daylight scene. And as some people may know, there are very onerous restrictions on uh, children's work hours in California. Michael Kenworthy, uh, of course, the main character, I think he, I'm not sure how old he was. He was 10 or 11, and I think we had him for four, we could have him for four hours a day. So the whole schedule was built around Michael's schedule. Sometimes we try to we'd shoot him out very fast. Sometimes we try to spread the hours over time. There was always a restriction, of course, on how late he could be working. I think maybe it was midnight in any case. And when you're doing a movie that's uh, full of night scenes, you, you generally work all night. And on this movie, we did. I remember working weeks and weeks and weeks from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., and it was in the wintertime, and we were shooting this up in the hills north of Los Angeles. It was very, very cold, very uncomfortable. This uh, large drain was a set built outside into a hillside. There's me in the plaid there, and that's Jason Hogan in the gray, who play uh, Billy and myself, Billy Crawley, for those of you who uh, are trivia buffs. I don't think that's on the net. That was my scripted last name. Hey, look at this. Some grunting. What does is, uh, what is Johnny find here? Oh, this looks, this looks like trouble. That's not my hand. I don't know whose hand that was, but they wouldn't pay me to come back in and do that. So someone else got to wipe the dirt off the drum. It's finally manicured. You'll notice it's not my hand. It was very tough finding the kid to play this part, and their casting director actually traveled around the country a bit trying to cast it. And it turned out that Michael literally lived a few blocks from the production office in Studio City. Jesse doesn't think it's a very good idea. Yeah. Of course, we think it's a great idea. This is a f relatively short scene with three kids, and I think we had to shoot it piecemeal over, I don't know, six or seven days. Again, working in terms of, you know, their restrictions and so on. When we go running out, I actually say, oh, shit. And uh, on opening night, a bunch of the basketball guys uh, who played and myself uh, with a couple of the coaches went to see this. And uh, when I run out here and I say, oh, shit, right about here, there you go, my coach turned around to me. He was not too happy with me. He didn't make me do any laps or anything, but he voiced his displeasure. That water scene, uh, we were quickly whisked offset to a dry truck where we got fresh clothes, so uh, they took really good care of us. Because you won't be able to. So... Uh, we do what any good jerks would do, and we lock somebody in a mausoleum. That's always nice. And here we get our first introduction to uh, Joey, Ed, and Brenda. Tom Matthews there in the uh, 
cool vest. There's James Karen getting out. One of the nicest guys you'll meet. Um, I remember him being super nice to me, always taking care of me. He uh, dubbed me a audio tape from the first Return of the Living Dead because both he and Tom are in that. So uh, th these are not the same roles. For those of you who know, I'm wasting my time, but uh, they're not the same roles. They, uh, they have different roles here, but they were both in the first one. And there's uh, Suzanne Snyder. Um, I knew her from uh, Weird Science as Deb the Blonde. So for those of you who like uh, connecting movies, there's one for you. Of course, the whole thing with the canisters uh, comes from O'Bannon's movie. So this, in fact, is very much, I guess, a sequel to what he did. Uh, I'm not sure how much what he did or what I did here or what somebody else did. And I think in the third one that they made in this uh, series really had anything to do with Night of the Living Dead. The graveyard uh, was also a set. It's hard to get permission to shoot in a real graveyard if you're making a horror movie. And... Um, you know, you really, you really want to have the, the run of the place. And we had so many scenes uh, that were uh, shot in the graveyard that uh, it, we never even thought twice about doing anything but an outdoor set. What if somebody wants to know what we're doing here? Oh, well, you tell them you're a grave digger. And the exterior set again. The difference is we're the kind that takes them out instead of putting them in, see? <laughs> Here's uh, Ed pointing out the technicalities of grave digging. Out of all the people in this movie, James Karen there on the right has probably uh, worked the most since this movie. Um, Jason uh, Hogan and I are in a, dead tie, a tie for dead last with This Is Our Only Credit. Tom Matthews has also been in a handful of things. I remember seeing him a couple years after this in one of the Friday the 13th movies. Jesus. As luck would have it, they're going to happen upon uh, the mess that Jesse's about to leave here. Um, if you uh, pay attention here, we're about to uh, come up on what I see as the first goof. Uh, you'll notice that uh, Jesse's hair, Michael's hair, is a very nice blonde, and it's thin, and it's nicely hanging in about his head. His uh, stunt double, Larry, who still works a lot in this town, uh, you'll see here in a second with the dark hair as he falls through. One, two, and three. Look at the hair. A little darker. All right. And I'm guessing that Michael probably got in trouble for his oh shit right here. Okay, okay, just a little decayed matter. Nothing to get unhinged about. Oh, shit! Trouble. Uh, little trivia, well, I don't know if, if you'll, you can see it right there or here, but later on you'll be able to see that uh, he actually has one blue eye and one half-brown half-blue eye. I'd never seen that before. I thought that was pretty interesting. So there's a scene later where he's down on the phone. You can maybe see it there. It didn't come out very well in the... Uh, VHS or the laser disc, but uh, maybe you can see it on the DVD. Problem with a horror comedy is that people who like horror movies don't like their horror movies with comedy in them. And people who go to comedies generally don't go to horror movies. So one can argue that making a horror comedy is really a suicide mission because you're really alienating what one might think are the real constituencies for this movie. I think that the promotional campaign, the artwork and the ads and stuff didn't really help it either because the promotional and marketing people at Lorimar, which was a functioning film studio when this was made, really didn't know how to approach it either. So I think, you know, some people wanted to just put it out as a straight horror movie and others said, no, no, let's play up the comedic aspects. I think, you know, just compromises got made and it just didn't go out there really clearly appearing as one thing or another. Two, now to the side again. 
another reason that we went heavily into sets, and we're looking at another one here, is that, again, flows from working with miners, and that is, is that you want to have maximum control. You want to be able to really use the time effectively, you know, and not be ra waiting for airplanes, rain, etc. This really was a, would have to be considered an in-studio film, which is unusual for a low-budget horror movie. Wow, look at those ears. I grew into those ears. Of course, I keyed in the exact right sequence to cause lots of trouble. Gonna knock back those sideburns, Tor, that's terrible. How long are they gonna stand there and stare at that? This is the uh, second of two sets. We had one, the big outdoor set that you saw. This is an indoor set. You'll see Jason goes the wrong way here. He goes left, yeah, um, we're supposed to come out this way. Uh, that happened about 10 times, so I guess they, uh, they just ended up going with whatever they could get. I heard the words non-toxic thrown a, a, around a lot when they were blowing the smoke in our face. Uh, after about 20 minutes, these are probably real coughs. And here's the uh, mysterious green mist drifting into the cemetery. As I was saying earlier, uh, Everybody involved with this movie was really great to me. I mean, I was 13, and uh, it was just such a such a privilege to work on a major motion picture. I didn't know what I was doing half the time, and they were all really good about helping me out. Um, I remember uh, one time on the way to the uh, soundstage off of uh, Rye Canyon, also in Saugus, my mother and I got cut off in our car by a big bread truck making a U-turn. Didn't see us. It was kind of a hazy morning, and we did a 360 on the way to work. It was nice. We ended up on the curb. And we knocked the axe out of alignment a little bit, and the set mechanic was nice enough to take care of it for us. And uh, the van came to pick me up for a couple days there while the car was being fixed. Here's the uh, ooze and mist seeping into the ground. For those of you who've seen part one, you know that's not a good sign. That's a good boy. You got it. Here's uh, Ed and Joey up to no good. All of the um, um, the corpses and all of the zombie makeup was uh, designed by uh, Kenny Myers, who had done um, the first movie, The Return of the Living Dead. And uh, I thought his work was great, and I didn't think there was any reason to talk to anyone else. So I just we kind of met and hired him, and he immediately started, um, you know, designing away. And I think um, at the height, he must have had um, um, 30 makeup artists and technicians uh, uh, working for him, uh, creating the zombie makeup, the prosthetics, the corpses, the effects. Um, it was quite complex, but uh, I think probably very simple compared to what's going on today. I, I don't need the money. I'm out of here. Ah, come off it. Who's gonna know? Huh? <laughs> Besides, I bet that girlfriend of yours would sure like this. Huh? I'm not so sure there, Ed. Yeah, I got this lovely bracelet for you off of a dead body. What do you think? 
I don't know, ladies. Give me a survey here. How many chicks are going to want that bracelet? At best, you hawk it on eBay for five bucks. Jimmy Karen is uh, a great actor to work with. He comes to the set with a great attitude every day. He's really into the work. He wants to help out making the picture the best it can be on whatever level he can contribute, not the least of which, of course, is his acting, which I love. I think he's a very funny guy. Here's Ed looking for the, the, the right year. Perfect. If that were a wine, I might agree with him. I, I, I guess he knows better. He is the grave robber. Here is uh, Jesse pr pretending to do some science homework. Um, another bit of trivia here. Uh, his room and my room are the same room. We just move things around, change the wall dressing. Here we go. Jesse's got his Master Man comic. And he opens it up. And he finds some interesting information. Hitchcock said that um, the favorite, um, the least favorite part of the process was directing the movie, being on the set. And um, I have to say I agree with him. Um, working on the script and the editing is where you can exert the most control. When you're on the set shooting the film, you feel like, this is not what I had in mind. This is not what I planned. This day is not going the way I wanted it to. Um, uh, Truffaut said uh, directing a movie is like taking a stagecoach uh, ride across the West. On uh, the first day, um, uh, you're, you're looking forward to the trip and uh, you're optimistic and you're having a good time. Uh, on the second day, your kidneys are beginning to ache and you didn't realize the ride was going to be as uh, rough as it's beginning to be. And on by the third day, you're just hoping that it's going to be over as soon as possible. And I have to say, this probably this picture more than any other one I did uh, gave me that feeling. I wanted it to be over as soon as possible. This picture had many, many problems. Um, some of which I can talk about and some of which I can't. He knows that a missing drum and people in toxic suits is probably not good news. I don't know why these guys are in the yellow suits when six feet away there's a guy with an M16 not too worried about it. But that's a different story entirely. Here's the uh, landing at the top of the stairs that goes nowhere. Very common for sets. Jesse trying to sneak out while his sister makes a terrible cake. Foiled at the door. And the old closet trick. Here we go. Coming! Here's Tom Essex, played by Dana Ashbrook. He uh, went on to do uh, Twin Peaks a few years later. That's the last thing I remember him in, although he has been working. And here's the What a Dork face. Yeah, by, by, by Jesse there in the closet. I got sort of lost. Wait a minute. Aren't you, uh, don't you go to Central? So Here's Tom testing his uh, local high school knowledge. Maybe you remember me, Tom Essex? No. Student council? Sorry. Swim team? Strike three. Almost. <laughs> Dork, there you go. Remember you? Um, TV's in here. And here, Jesse makes his escape. And you're about to see uh, my mom in the movie. Little quiz. Uh, what's my mom's first name in this movie? Well, the answer comes later. She actually looks kind of like my mother, which is interesting. Robert Ellswit 
the DP, was really a tremendous help, a great person to work with, great sense of humor. Kept me laughing on days when I didn't feel like laughing at all. And uh, he's gone on to, you know, work on a number of really terrific movies. He's uh, he's a great lighting cameraman. And he also, uh, on this picture, I don't know if he still does, but he uh, operated himself. And that's very helpful because, you know, when you've got a, a lighting cameraman and an operator, you're talking to both of them. Sometimes they're together. Sometimes they're, they're separated. You're having different conversations with each one. One is working the lighting and the other one is primarily working the camera movement and the framing and so on under the supervision of the DP, of course. But it's just so much easier when both jobs are performed by the same person, which is pretty much um, the European system. Uh, it's unusual for a DP not to operate himself in many countries. Ellsworth was one of the few people that I knew about who did the lighting and also operated. And the assistant cameraman is a guy named, I think it's David Boyd, who's also become a DP now. And David um, had a real the challenge of his life with uh, little Mr. Kenworthy here, uh, who could never hit his mark. And, and with these night scenes with a very narrow focal plane, uh, you know, the focus was critical. Your mark was critical because uh, the AC had so uh, little room to play with. And, and David did a terrific job of, of finding focus on Michael, whether Michael was hitting his mark or not. He doesn't like that. Open front, we saw what was in there. It wasn't very pretty. We'll jot down the number. Coming up here in a second, you're going to see our first glimpse, and I think our last glimpse, of uh, Tar Man, who was also back from part one. Us kids loved this guy. We'd see him uh, hanging around in between shots with that lovely head off, sipping a Coke, the rest of the... Uh, Tar Man suit intact. Although I enjoy working with actors, I'd like to have a lot of fun with them. Uh, what, this picture really did not provide an opportunity for that. The technical challenges uh, of doing a picture like this on a low budget and other problems that I'll get into, I had all I could do to just uh, you know get the pages uh, done every day. Now here's a graveyard that's really well lit. Now a lot of people object to that, but I was doing a horror comedy, not a comedy horror. So and comedies are should be well lit. You need to see what's going on. And so we decided we weren't going to be, uh, you know, terribly concerned with atmospheric lighting. Before we started filming, several weeks before, I had to... Uh go out and have a head cast done so that they could work on my mask for what comes up in the last scenes of the movie. I went out to Kenny Meyer's uh, ranch, and I believe it was in Castaic, also local. Kenny also still works. He uh, most recently worked on The Last Samurai. I remember uh, walking around his shop for about a half hour before they made me sit in the uh, barber chair. He had a lot of interesting ghoulies. He, he did work on the first one. He had a lot of interesting ghoulies lying around, so that was good for a uh, interesting for a 13-year-old kid to see. And then uh, he strapped me into the chair, and they proceeded to uh, plaster me up with a bald cap on. Had a full bust done down to the shoulder line, so they could uh, go off and work their magic on the mask while I wasn't there. 
for those of you who haven't done that, it's not the most fun in the world. Straws in your nose and your mom holding your hand. I probably wouldn't line up to repeat that, but they did give me the bus when all was said and done, and I think I put a baseball cap on it. It's probably sitting in my mom's attic. We have some new music here. This is uh, different from the original track. In preparing uh, for this commentary, I went online and uh, um, brought up the name of the picture on the Internet Movie Database just to re-familiarize myself with some aspects of it because it really has been, I don't know, what, 16 years and a long time since I've seen it. But there's something wrong with this music. It's familiar sounding, but it doesn't. It sounds misplaced. And and uh, while I was online today, I saw some uh, uh, I don't know, you know, uh, uh, messages that people had put on some boards, um, complaining about the tracks being changed. And now I'm beginning to think they were they knew what they were talking about. And uh, one thing people might not know, except for the people that did it, um, several of the extras. Uh, the extra zombies uh, were local Santa Clarita Valley residents. Um, there's a, a break-in scene later where, where the zombies get into a house, and I, I believe a couple of the people in that scene are uh, SCV extras who got a chance to be a zombie in a movie. I actually had uh, one of them come up to me at a supermarket several years after, uh, and now it's been 16 years since the making of the film. This is probably about about eight years after, and he said, hey, you're that guy from the yeah, well, and thanks for, uh, you know, thanks for letting us be in your movie. And I'm like, I, I had no idea who he was, but uh, it was, it was, it, it was, it was nice to hear that someone, someone made a couple bucks off of having the, the movie locally. This always interested me. I, I don't think I'd be in much of an eating mode around uh, half-severed bodies and open coffins, but apparently uh, Ed thinks it's important to get his five servings of fruits and vegetables, so he's having his, his thermos. Not me. You'll never find me in one of these. I'm going to get me cremated. We're just afraid that some old creep like you is going to come along and steal. Sounds like Ed and Jesse both want to be cremated. Boy, if you like this job. Like this job? Like this job? Suzanne Snyder was great. She was a joy to work with. She had a thing she did before every take where she'd jump up and down real fast and shake her head and her hands and scream. Everybody prepares differently. She decides to check out. Oh, shit. Shit. Uh, not before she runs into somebody. Okay, okay. Um, the van. I don't know why she's willing to give up the car. She needs to get away. He's obviously not moving very quickly. Get away. Run. Run. Come on, turn and run. Go. Oh, bad idea. Hand double. There we go. Nice. That's always good and yummy. Hope, hope nobody was eating spinach. Um, yeah, run. That way. The first movie I made was called Shockwaves, and uh, that also had zombies in it. Underwater Nazi zombies. That was shot in Miami with an open casting call for people who were willing to have their hair bleached and uh, could work in the water comfortably. I discovered that as I worked with these, I don't know, dozen guys that we had hired, you know, that some were really into it and, you know, some weren't or less so. And um, and I kind of, you know, let the ones who were really into it, who were, let's say, were expressive in their zombie behavior, come to the fore. That's sort of what we did here. This is such a mixture of prosthetic makeup and animatronics that it was, uh, it was more difficult to maintain any kind of continuity with uh, these zombies. 
Okay, quick note. If a guy pulls a crowbar out of his head after you smash it, run. Holy shit! This is big fucking trouble! This guy, of course, is completely animatronic. Here's where we see that's not the only one that figured it out. I always thought that uh, James' volume level on uh, the character of Ed here was always fun. Most of this uh, bogus cemetery here is also in the Santa Clarita Valley. It's interesting watching this scene because uh, it makes me remember that I really personally never had any strong feeling about horror movies. As I said, I kind of fell into it one day. You know, there's a philosophy that it's so hard to get a movie to direct that whenever the door opens, you step through it no matter what. Of course, the other side of that is is that, you know, you got to be careful and only do what you, you know, what you feel you, you know, want to do or have the talent to do. I walked through that door as soon as it opened. You know, I thought making a low-budget horror movie was the way to begin. And it was, you know, if I wanted to keep making horror movies. But I didn't, and I really couldn't get any shots at doing anything else. But I never had any real feeling for this, and it was sort of paint by the numbers for me. Comparing it to the O'Bannon movie, which I thought was very sharp, very satirical, very funny, I didn't want to do the same tone, and my natural inclination was to, was to go broader with the humor anyway. So that's what I did, and of course that alienated the horror fans even more. This is one of my favorite lines of Jesse's. He's not making a whole lot of sense, especially where he says, uh, drum, big slimy. Ah, big slimy! We've got to call the army! I love that. I don't know why. Here, uh, Tom figures out that Lucy's not a very good cook. You know, because the cable guy usually hangs around for a couple hours after the installation. Tatis off. Well, someone who can't separate a white from a yolk probably can't make, bake a pretty decent cake. Let me at least call mom. But do not try to leave this room. Do you understand? Here's where Marsha enlists the old jump rope trick. I probably did this about uh, 50 times to my sister, so I'll go ahead and apologize to her for that. It works, though. In my mom's house, it was two doors. Here we have the door and the banister, equally effective. Jesse's not too happy about that. And here we get the uh, first glimpse of my stage dad. Wait for me! No, don't leave me, please! And cue dad, there he is. Don Maxwell. Sally Smythe, his mom. Go ahead and shoot me. I, I, I don't know that I would say go ahead and shoot me, but that, that was Ed's choice there. Okay, here's where we get the answer to our former trivia question. What is my mom's name in the movie? Now! Okay. Right here. Oak Mildred. Mildred. All right. If you got that, you get five points. Go get yourself a drink. And for anybody who uh, has worked on a movie and has had makeup work, you know that on lunch they don't like you to run around or sweat or 
eat with your lips or any of those sorts of things. Well, as uh, young kids will do, we didn't follow directions very well. So uh, a lot of times before we went back to shoot, we had to have touch-ups, of course. And early on, that wasn't that big of a deal. It's just some uh, light green, look-sick kind of base and some uh, spongy red and green effects. But uh, later on in the movie, when you've got raccoon mask on and probably about two and a half hours of makeup and a half hour of hair under your belt, they, they don't like it so much when you go running around the building in sweat. I think here we get a, a, a good enough close-up where we can see uh, Michael's two eyes. One of the problems I had with this picture was the, uh, was the soundtrack, the music. Unbeknownst to me, the producer had hired a composer. He had started a little music publishing company, and I guess he wanted the... Uh, you know, the music publishing rights to whatever was uh, composed for the movie and uh, hired a guy who uh, had never done anything before. I protested. We had a falling out. I had to uh, mix the movie with this uh, dreadful music score. When the president of Lorimar saw the movie, heard the score, he got very upset. We took it out and had a whole new score composed, which we then remixed into the movie. For any kids that had to be stuck on the set, we of course had to go to school every day. I don't remember how long we had to go, but we always went. We had a really nice teacher. I cannot for the life of me remember her name, but uh, she was super nice, and we were, uh, we were able to uh, keep up our grades while on the set, which is always good, especially since I was a complete dork in high school. I'll go ahead and admit to that right now. I couldn't have my perfect 4.0 busted up by... Uh, shooting a movie for a couple of months, so it was good that I could keep up my GPA while on the set. And right here we have our first uh, casualty. Which drops the all-important call to the Army. finds religion somehow and uh, he blabbers pretty much the rest of the movie which is uh, pretty funny here comes my uh, stage dad to the rescue because a shotgun is important in giving CPR and we have our first good special effects shot special effects makeup here warm lady one of our one of my favorites anyway she goes to town there's a little ragu time there I guess zombies always eat brains. I guess that, you know, that's a convention that I felt I couldn't go against. Tom playing the tough guy after he just wrecked this cable van. Is that CPR? No, not, not exactly. We'll wait here. Uh, I don't think so. You notice in the background here these big piles of dirt. This was in uh, a semi-active site for construction of a new housing tract. Um, and uh, Ken and the rest of the uh, crew had a heck of a time keeping... Uh, Michael and myself out of those trenches as a virtual playground for uh, for any kid, obviously. I think we got caught in there a couple times when we shouldn't have been. Miss, miss, you gotta help us! Go with me, you gotta get out of here, call the police! No, you gotta help us! You got a gun in this place! A gun, get out of here! Phone's dead. And again, cable guy to the rescue, like they've been dating for years. All right, out there, that's hit and run, pal. No, they're oh. dead! Yeah, I know, you guys... Already dead! Trust me, dead! Dead, dead, dead. Dead, dead, dead. Yeah. We've got to get you a phone. That's right. He's right. Him? 
This was obviously before everybody and their mother had a cell phone. Otherwise, there'd be at least five cell phones in this room, with Jesse being the possible exception. Here's our first indication that things might be right. And oh, the bag's moving. That's great. Let's open it. Let's see what's in it. Oh, it's a head. That's great. And here, uh, Ed wisely decides to point at it. I don't know. I guess, you know, some people think this is funny. Some people think it's horrific. I think it's a riot. Wisely gets rid of it there. We also like that head. Tough guy's got to get rid of it. Here comes my brother's favorite line in the whole movie and probably a couple other people's favorite line. I believe this is uh, Kenny Myers again lending his voice to the uh, the severed head here. That's got to hurt. Get that damn screwdriver out of the head! That one always makes you laugh. Lorimar, being a television, essentially a television company, was really, really into testing. And uh, the pictures they made, they, re they, re you know, they really tested uh, all over the place. And even, even a low-budget picture like this, and I mean, this was a low-budget picture for them. I think it cost, I don't know, five or six million dollars. And um, uh, I remember going to at least half a dozen or eight um, preview screenings of... Around Los Angeles and outside of Los Angeles, they took it. They, they even tested the campaign in in some other uh, markets outside of L.A. And um, I was really amazed at how well received it was. Uh, you know, it, they would always somehow manage to have a, a house full of people in the audience, and uh, audience really responded. Um, and um, I was quite pleased. It worked much better than I thought it would. This is really uh, a picture where this very little was uh, was cut out. I mean, scenes are always trimmed. Uh, you know, you're always retiming the pace of a scene in the editing, uh, making it uh, longer or, or usually shorter than uh, what you had planned. Um, you know, cutting lines, cutting time, cutting seconds. But um, there were... Um, I can't think of any scenes that we shot of any significance that are not in the movie. And um, I had started out as an assistant uh, film editor in, uh, in New York. And uh, I had worked on, um, on features there as well as documentaries. And um, in, in New York, you had people, mainly people who were directing movies who had come out of... Uh, uh, they were producers, they were writers, they were, they were not people who had a lot of experience on the set. And as a consequence, um, movies would be in editing for a very long time, or what I looked to me like a very long time, uh, sometimes as long as a year. Um, because decisions weren't being made on the set. Uh, films were shot in a way so that the decisions could be deferred to the editing room. And um, uh, at a certain point, I, I got a job as, a, uh, as an assistant editor on a James Bond movie uh, while it was shooting in the U.S. And I was with the movie for, oh, in about eight or ten weeks while it was on location in New Orleans. And um, this was the uh, Live and Let Die with Roger Moore 
not one of the great Bond movies, but 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 not a bad one. And um, but what impressed me the most was the was the uh, was the the crew, uh, which was kind of like a like a British army unit, uh, uh, more more professional than anything I'd experienced in New York. But the extraordinary thing that I thought was extraordinary was um, the director, whose name was uh, Guy Hamilton, uh, only shot what went into the picture. And I didn't know that until I, you know, a, you know, a year later when the picture came out and I went to see it in the theater. And literally every setup that was shot in New Orleans over those eight or ten weeks was in the picture. There was no waste at all. And what was also impressive was the way he shot the movie. Um, he shot it in little pieces. And for an action movie, that's quite extraordinary. I mean, I mean, he really understood the medium. He really understood editing. And he really knew how to shoot exactly what he wanted. And for me, this was a revelation um, to be working on a film where the director actually only shot what was going into the film. So I kind of went away from that thinking, hmm, you know, this is not a bad way to go, you know. You know, I thought it was probably a better thing to be able to make the decision on the set than in the cutting room. Harder in many ways, but by forcing yourself to make decisions, they're usually good ones because you're following your instinct. If you don't want to make the decision, then you wind up, you know, shooting coverage in a way that gives you options later on. And of course, sometimes you want to do that. There are reasons you have to do that. But generally speaking, I tried to be efficient, economical, and shoot what I thought was actually going to wind up being in the movie. When you only have 30 days to shoot a film, you don't have a lot of time to shoot scenes that may not make it. And here's where Billy's not looking too good. This is still my first day on the set. And when I start convulsing here, it's actually Ken shaking me. So thanks, Ken, for uh, helping me with the convulsions. It would have been a little hard for me to pull this off by myself. There's a little last gasp of air for you. And okay, wonder what's gonna happen there. Mom doesn't like the fact that uh, dad left the front door open. She's gonna have to go have a word with him. George. Coming up in this next scene here, um, I'm pretty sure I'm not giving anything away to anybody who's listening to me. Um, I'm standing on the stairs when mom comes back in and I remember I got really sick that day because they, uh, I wasn't feeling well already, and they, they blew this stuff in my eyes to make them bloodshot, and I, I'm a eyephobic. I don't like things in my eyes. That's why I don't wear contacts. I wear glasses, and I got really sick, so they, uh, they saved some money on makeup this day. <laughs> the people playing the zombies were rehearsed to a degree in terms of the movements. The problem, of course, is what they could do out of makeup and what they could do in makeup was not always the same thing. So the way we may have wanted it to look was not always the way it wound up looking. Again, because of the issues of prosthetics and, and, and keeping the appliances on and, and so on. What seems to be the problem? Where are the keys to your car? Why, are we going somewhere? And here's the gang trying to get uh, Doc's car from him. He doesn't seem to be willing to part with it. He also seems to be drunk. People, we need your car. Well, it sounds to me like you need a hearse. We don't have time for this. Uh, I'm sorry. Here comes an eloquent argument from our redhead. Must be an emergency, huh? No, duh. Oh, well. Ah! Ah! 
this area of town here where all these these homes are being built was kind of an undeveloped area at the time. The Santa Clarita Valley has grown quite a bit since I lived there, which is when I was born in 1973. This was a fairly undeveloped region. Um, now there is a, a mall about uh, half a mile from where this was filmed. Uh, my house is about a mile from where this was filmed. This was a difficult stunt, not one that I'm sure was worth spending the time on, driving the car through a closed garage door with numerous zombies standing in front in the driveway and getting hit by the car. Multiple cameras, lots of preparation, took hours and hours and hours, and I'm, I'm not sure the result was worth it. On the day for this stunt here where the car comes ripping through the garage, I remember uh, Kirk Cameron was on the set as was uh, Andrew Koenig, who plays Boner in uh, Growing Pains. So uh, that was interesting for me because I was a fan of theirs being a 13-year-old kid. They had worked with Michael. He did a guest spot on, on Growing Pains. Goes by so fast. Hey, you with no face. Get off the car. Get off the car. And here we see a little stationary car moving actor. There goes me. Car was not moving there. They uh, had me run by it there. See the zombie population has exploded there on the edge of town. Notice the cheerleader there. Always amazed me how many people were willing to put on all that makeup and then stay up all night in this cold weather and all that makeup just to play a zombie in a movie. <laughs> These guys don't look so good. That guy looks like he's definitely up to no good. I think uh, Ed needs a little uh, window help here. If one could say there was a lead zombie, it was, it was this guy on the roof of the car. He really did have a good sense of it. He was very athletic and graceful, too. So he was one guy who actually got the uh, same makeup every day. Here we have a little gag hand. We got, the, uh, we got two varieties. We have the... Uh, the sleeve variety here, where there's uh, someone's hand in the rubber hand, and you'll see the little, uh, his uh, black painted arm. Right there, there you go. And then there is the rubber gag hand, here in a second. Okay, here we go, bounce, bounce, bounce. That must have been fun. I wasn't in the car there, obviously. The hand was a combination of uh, you know, animatronic and uh, a live hand. All this stuff had to be storyboarded very carefully. You know, so we knew <laughs> we're using the we're using the, the person who was doing the real hand or the animatronic hand. I have to say that it was a lot more fun writing this stuff than shooting it. Where's the emergency room? No, no one's gonna go to the police station. They'll know what to do. Will you shut up, God. I think something. I don't think that car was designed to hold seven people. I feel so. I just got this. We've got a while before uh, Billy makes a reappearance here. No, it's it's like we've been here before. Here's another reference back to the first one. Like a dream, this whole thing. You, me, them. 
That was a cute reference to the previous film they had been in. Here's our bogus emergency room. And I've 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 tried to catch some some uh, try to catch them on that left headlight, but they consistently leave that left left headlight out the rest of the movie. I I haven't been able to catch them on a on a bad edit there. So the script was pretty much as uh, as it was written. And you're always making modifications and changes as you go, but there was uh, there was really no serious rewriting going on while we were making the picture. Thank God. Damn it, why? Where'd they all go? Hello? Where is everybody? When are you guys going to win? Here again, we're back in studio. I mean, this is a good example of why we had to be in in studio all the time because there are many hospital locations and standing sets in Los Angeles. I mean, it's rare for somebody to build a hospital set. But we had to do it in this case because of the schedule of a 10-year-old actor. Somebody somewhere. I'll take a look around town. Not without me. Uh, you stay put. No way. I saw it. I'm the one who knows stuff. Kid's got a point. <laughs> I don't know how an 11-year-old kid has a point, but that's okay. If we're going, let's go. We'll be a team. Teams suck. One of the other things that was uh, really neat as a uh, non-Hollywood personality when I was uh, 13... Um, was just getting on the set and being called the talent. I didn't, uh, I didn't think it was such a big deal, but uh, apparently somebody else did. They gave us our own little, uh, little slot in the honey wagon and our own chair on set with a name on it. At age 13, I thought I was a big shot there for a couple of months. What is it? What's wrong? Is he going to be okay? Let's look at the tongue, all right? Oh, my God. What? I grew and grew and grew, and now I don't work anymore. <laughs> We're going to do a biopsy. Is it cancer? If we're lucky. It was kind of fun because when I would go back to school, you know, I'd be gone for probably five, six school days at a time, and then I'd come back for one or two, and then I'd go back to the set. Um, it was fun because people would ask how the movie was going, you know, and, and there was a... Uh, that I remember the the day that the, uh, the, the local paper, again, the signal that... Uh, ran the ad off which I got the job. They actually came out to the set and did an interview and there was a, you know, a full page in the signal. So it was, it was, it, it was pretty funny. Most of my friends were, were uh, pretty good at, at keeping me in check because they probably realized better than I did. This would be the uh, one and only thing I ever did at, uh, at five, six, uh, 13 years old with braces. Uh, I was, uh, I was, I was informed by one talent, uh, talent agent that my chances were about one in a million landing this part. So, uh, I thank the folks that thought I had the right look. Hey, 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 over here! Here's uh, Marsha blowing their cover. Very nice. Why don't you uh, tell them where you're at? That's good. These, uh, these town shots here were shot in Sierra Madre, which is off the 210, also in the LA area. I was only on set on Sierra Madre probably a couple of nights for the... Uh, brain trolling sequence that you'll see later. I remember it being uh, winter, I remember it being pretty cold. Big heaters on set so we didn't uh, freeze our buns off. Here's a smashed face guy. The trick of a story like this is to keep it moving because uh, it's a chase movie, it's people running from zombies, so it's kind of you know easy to do. The trick is just not to get 
you know, bogged down in any one particular scene. So the movie continually has the feeling of always opening up into something new. Great. I'm not even out of grade school and I'm already gonna die. There's Gramps! They decide to go to uh, Grandpa's house because he's a uh, card-carrying member of the NRA. Again, with the headlight correctly uh, hey, wait a out. Hold on. Tom reluctantly agrees to go and check it out. Lovely 80s decor here. And... Gun rack, very nice. You know how to uh, use one of those? You do know how to pull a trigger, don't you? Gives Tom a nice 45 out of there, very nice. She's junior class champion for the whole state. Junior class champion for the whole state. This kind of bothered me. I, I, I actually did some checking, and believe it or not, there are some high school rifle teams in Georgia. So don't mess with anybody in Georgia. And they're dirty and they're dumb. And I don't even care if they are dead. Jesse doesn't like his uh, little single-shot 22, so as soon as Lucy leaves here, he's going to uh, offer something a little better. Turns around, drops the pea shooter. I think this house was the only real interior location in the movie. I wouldn't put it there, Mike. I actually saw Mike about six years ago uh, when I was finishing up school at Cal State Northridge. We kept in touch for a couple of weeks, and then uh, we uh, both dropped off the face of the earth. I hate to focus so much on the um, technical movie-making aspects of this, but uh, that was really the challenge uh, in this case. You know, maybe um, looking back on it, um, you know, I um, bit off more than we could chew because um, it was really a stretch um, uh, to make a movie um, with this many effects with a young kid for the budget we had. Obvious lividity, suggesting chronic intractable rigamortis. Is it serious? The last movie I made, which is called A House in the Hills, uh, was what you call a two-hander. It's uh, basically, uh, it was two people in a house. So it was really all about acting and performance and character. And uh, there wasn't one special effect in the entire film. And I much prefer that to this. In my opinion, I think they should be contained. Contained? Bag. Bag? Bag. And what I discovered by trying to make a horror comedy was that you really can't mix uh, genres. I don't think so. It's very hard to do. Certainly genres that are so diametrically opposed, like horror and comedy. And, and there is an audience for them, but it's a very, very small audience. And in, in terms of American movie making, it's, it's not an audience big enough you know, to really um, sustain the cost of movie making these days. Polanski made a very good one called The Fearless Vampire Killers, but not one of his better-known movies. Again, because even people who like Polanski usually have not seen that one. I remember uh, 
for all this kind of zombie makeup here, like this guy here is donning. We we had a a full trailer, a whole arsenal of makeup artists. Um, I know my makeup job here towards the end took about two and a half hours, and with the melted face, it was probably about another forty-five minutes to an hour. So uh, we we had a we had a virtual marching army of uh, makeup artists getting these people ready. Usually, we'd have. Um, less than five, like three to five, um, full makeup, full gear, you know, the, the, the full two and a half hour job on set. And then we'd have a couple of, uh, you know, handfuls and handfuls as we needed them of, of, uh, background makeup to a lesser degree. So, uh, front and center guys like this guy got the full treatment until you at least a nice ring around your face, right where the, where the mask is applied. It's, uh, not fun, especially when you know you got to do it again the next day. Now, this was the same guy who was on the roof of the car earlier. Of course, now he's in different makeup. But if I remember correctly, we gave him we gave him the uh, the key zombie roles, even though there weren't any that really sustained for any period of time. Standard uh, scary movie cliche here. He doesn't bail. Here we have the shotgun blast, and from what I remember. We had a uh, disabled American veteran who was uh, right here, nice enough to uh, strap himself into the harness. I don't know that I would have been so brave. Uh, he was uh, yanked off a dummy set of legs and slammed into the wall probably more times than he cared to admit. Tries to get his legs back there unsuccessfully. Tom proving he doesn't know how to use a 45. Cock it first, Tom. There you go. Okay. One to the heart didn't do it. Okay, that's three. Okay, shoot him again, Tom. Shoot him again, Tom. Click, click. Okay. There's no magazine on the planet that only holds three rounds. So, uh... We, we, we missed the mark there. Oh, he got an arm. That, that helps. The most time in pre-production was spent with Kenny Myers and the effects supervisor. I really didn't want to get into a situation where we were trying to do things that were overly ambitious. You know, having done a few other horror movies that, uh, you know, even with uh, simple blood effects, I mean, you really can get bogged down. So you kind of want to be clever uh, about what you're doing and devise things that look... Ten times better than the effort it takes to create them. This uh, zombie that is blown in half. This was a tough one to do, and we spent a long time on this. And I don't know. Looking at it now, it does looks a bit stiff to me. But you can see the detailing in the face and stuff, and the eyeballs. I mean, they, they did a great job. <laughs> They're really terrific uh, effects to look at. You're making a big mistake. Shut up. No, you. One of the things that I uh, that I ended up doing in between uh, probably the second and third audition was uh, bothering to watch the first one because uh, I hadn't seen it. I had been a fan of other horror movies, but uh, I hadn't seen Return of the Living Dead Part One, so I watched it so I could get some kind of idea as to uh, what they were looking for. And apparently, they just wanted me to. Uh, be as ugly as I come out of the box and uh, grow my hair out. That was one request they did make, to grow my hair out so they could slick it back and 
Give it that helmet look. She's not real happy about Ed coming along for the ride here. A lot of horror movies uh, also have dollops of sex, and uh, of course we don't have any of that here. In fact, I think this movie would have been rated uh, PG-13 if we didn't have a few uh, curse words in it. And of course you can always get an R-rated movie if there are a couple of fucks in. Ed is not looking so hot. Neither is Joey. Brenda seems to think that her uh, extensive medical knowledge will uh, make him better. Shut up! I'm telling you, Sarge, we cleared out the town. Here's our uh, first indication that the army has something to do with clearing out the town. Lady, don't come any closer. Brenda tries to uh, give these army guys the vitals here. I don't think uh, very many uh, doctors in the ER would uh, like her rundown here. It's not very descriptive. Plague. Plague? This is no plague. They're dead. I mean, I mean, I mean, not like for real dead, but like sick dead, you know? Like when you check them out, there's like nothing going on inside or anything. Looks like uh, Ed had his last gasp there. Don't you think? Oh, uh, yeah, let's move out, boys. No! Wait, no, I can explain. I can explain, please. Here comes ragu scene number two. Ed! Reading spaghetti, stop now. Ed! God damn! Brenda takes that as a no and decides to, uh... Get back in the car here. Get up here now! Okay, Sarge. It was like that wild-eyed look James Karen got there. Kitty made up some brain concoction for the zombies to eat. I don't remember what it was, and I never partook of it myself, but uh, uh, it was edible. He decides to finish his meal here as Brenda decides to get the hell out of there wisely. She apparently doesn't do the math to realize that... Uh, Joey's probably not in much better shape, and she might be lunch soon, so she gets what she deserves. A lot of people took exception to this scene. A lot of people said, now you got to take it out of the movie. People, uh, you know, eating pets, you know, they're just, uh, people aren't going to go for it. Tom decided to go without the headlights. Figure he'd at least want that. No, Richmond's faster and brighter. Let's just get out of here. Although I suppose he's not going to have to signal for anybody. Tom's not happy that they're going after Toto here. What are you doing? Yeah, I know. They're already dead. I don't care. Kill it anyway. Second zombie hit by a car. Oh Little zombie barbecue for you. I remember these blue lines being uh, very expensive. I don't remember the exact quote, but I remember it not being cheap. One for the good guys. 
One down, a couple hundred to go, Tom. Good job. Hit the siren. All right, right here in this next scene, there's Jason in the background. I don't know if you saw it there. You might have to rewind. The, our last shot of uh, Johnny there in the background. And up here uh, in a second, you'll uh, you'll see that I re-enter the fray. There he is. There's Johnny. And I remember Ken trying to get me to do some kind of really mean look right here, and I just wasn't helping him. I, I we, we must have shot it a dozen times. And uh, I was I was trying to do something really cool with my eyes, and I guess I just missed. So he said, you know what, just walk up, look ugly, do what you're doing, and walk off. So that's what we ended up going with. Even though this was a low-budget horror movie, it was, in effect, a studio movie. It was being financed in a, in a, uh, you know, by a studio. And, um, you know, they're, when, that, when, you do, when you do a studio movie, they look at the dailies every day. And luckily, nobody at this studio had ever made a horror movie before. And I'm not sure that any of them had much taste for one either. You know, why, why they make up one movie and don't make another has always been a mystery to me. But uh, uh, they decided they wanted a horror movie. And they liked the idea of a Living Dead title. And so they uh, went with this one. But I don't. They didn't know what to make of it, and uh, so 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 luckily I did, uh, or maybe unluckily. I don't know. I did not get a whole lot of feedback. He decides his sense of smell is better than his sense of sight. I remember this being a uh, a reshoot when uh, Joey gets right up on her, and you don't see his face anymore. That it was a. Uh, a double that did the chopping. Yeah. Joey, I am not into dead guys. That's my favorite line in the movie. I'm not into dead guys. <laughs> when I was 13, I don't think I understood what this uh, next little bit meant, but uh, I figured it out later. Okay, okay, okay. Take me, baby. Oh, look, we had a take me, baby, and her mouth doesn't move. That's, that's, that's unfortunate. <laughs> All right, Interstate 5, 10 miles. It probably wasn't even that far. We were probably only about uh, two or three miles from I-5 at the, uh, the main location. Barbed wire across the street is never a good sign. It's another well-known Los Angeles location. It's the Piru Bridge. And actually, it's a bridge no longer in use. They built a much more modern bridge right next to it. This bridge has been seen in a lot of movies. Commence firing is never something you want to hear unless you're on the other side of the weapon, especially one that's mounted to a truck. Apparently, uh... The armed forces at the time weren't a very good shot, or they probably would have got the tires there. Lucky enough for our protagonists, they got away here. Things? Yeah, don't you get it? That's why there's nobody in town. They evacuated the whole place. The 11-year-old figures it out. Nobody else has a clue. Soldiers in front, zombies in the back. Maybe we should slip off. Here comes uh, Jesse's fascination with uh, communication. He decides to go for the CB this time. Here's Derek again, full makeup. He has some snacks under his arms here. 
Little uh, formaldehyde and brain. That's always good. Come to the hospital. She'll be right there. Doc doesn't uh, like what he hears, so he does a little trivia here. Who the president of the United States is? Harry Truman. Who's Harry Truman? Jesse hasn't hit the eighth grade yet, so he hasn't had history, so he doesn't know who Harry Truman is. Tom thinks he has a great idea. So we're going to go to a meatpacking plant and give these guys what they want. The movie went into a very wide release, I think. It was 1,200 theaters. You know, it probably hung on for a few weeks, and, and then it died. Always go for the shortest guy to be lookout. I joined the Army to see the world, not this. Get hold of yourself, son. You're an American soldier. We got a firefighter in our hands. And the enemy's already dead. Beautiful. There's a little free target practice for our army buddies. All right, you dead bunch of sons of bitches. I'm pulling your tired, ugly ass. The funny thing is that afterwards, the only uh, offers I got were for more horror comedies. And the thing that really puzzled me was, was why anybody would want to make one. Because it was real hard to find any examples you know, that made any real money. But uh, I actually uh, was in development, at, I think, at Fox for quite a while on a horror comedy that they wanted to do. But eventually they saw the error of their ways and dropped the project. Here's a little noise. Doesn't trust that the Army can do a good job, so he goes to check it out. Here's some uh, music that made it from the original soundtrack. Help, help! Sixteen guys in a jeep. That might clue me in that that's not standard army protocol. There, I remember uh, Michael telling me that was a that was a fun night of shooting there with the jeep in high gear. And then he realizes his mistake and figures out he's going to be dinner if he doesn't run for it. I remember. Uh, at the premiere, Michael and I hung out, and uh, he invited uh, Kirk Cameron back again, so we got to hang out with him. That was that was cool for me. Here they are uh, stacking up the beef brains as they are prominently labeled there on the box. Hold him. Don't worry, we'll find him. Well, maybe I don't want to find him. I think you do. I bet you think I'm a real idiot, don't you? No. I think you're great. There's Tom figuring a uh, night out on the town with zombies is going to be a good first date. I never knew how long it took to actually put on all that makeup. I mean, people told me that they, you know, had arrived at, uh, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, for a 7 a.m. call. Luckily, I didn't have to be there that early. And, of course, none of them were allowed to eat lunch, or they were only allowed liquid lunches. And they could sip through straws. So again, I can't, uh, not a very pleasant experience. You have to really want to do it. Here he thinks he's, uh, he's toast, he's out of, he's out of gas. Who do you think you are? 
I got news for you, pal. We survived. We survived. Together. Here's the cable guy disciplining a kid that he met two hours ago. That's good. Where are his parents? The scene coming up here is the brain scene. I don't know what everybody else got, but I got raw cookie dough covered in boysenberry pancake syrup. And when I say dough, I mean water, flour, egg, and nothing else. Um, this is probably the fifth or sixth shot that they took. If you look real closely, when I go to chomp on this thing, um, you can look and see that I'm about to throw up. Uh, we, we, we had a whole tray full of these things, and uh, Ken didn't like what he was getting. Um, I think some of the background people were tripping over me or too close to camera or whatever. And uh, you, you can see I'm quite disgusted here. One, two, three, and oh, God. I would walk right off camera and just spit it right into the sewer that was right there. I could not wait to get that out of my mouth. It was really, really bad. I think I would have rather had beef brains. At least I could put some uh, spaghetti sauce on it and be okay. Here's the uh, charging line of the infantry. Tom here trying to get the gate closed. Everything in this scene was uh, created for the film. I guess in a way it's extraordinary that we did this for the amount of money we had. So I think we'll get a better view of this in a moment or two. Yeah! I always thought that if we had that many people pushing on that cheesy little fence, they could probably get through it, but we'll, uh, we'll let them slide on that one. You don't see me at the gate yet, but uh, the next time we pan across, I think you'll get a shot of me. It was after the uh, super duper makeup fest. Three, the three-ish three hours of makeup. Here's another set with the uh, lights and knobs and buttons blinking in sequence. It's the big switch that says this one. Of course, there's only one switch for the entire plant because that's, that's a good design. Here we go, backup mode. Okay. discussing plot at all, of course, but we get to the point now where they've uh, they've learned that electricity is the way to deal with these zombies. And uh, what better place could they find themselves but in a power plant? Good thing they had the cable TV guy with them to uh, overhaul the electrical here at the power plant. It's another horror movie convention. The zombies don't climb the fence until they're supposed to. Not sure where he got the cable, since his van got smashed into the telephone box. It was really freezing cold on some nights, and in shots like this, not only did they have to act in all this makeup, but we they couldn't breathe because we didn't want to see their breath. Who's that ugly guy? I still think one of the reasons they picked me was so they could save on makeup time. Here we go, I'm gonna climb the fence. This kid just keeps, keeps getting in trouble, and he keeps getting uglier. Here's the uh, jump over the fence scene. 
I don't actually jump from the top of the fence as you might imagine. I'm just right there above that fence line. I remember right here, Ken was trying to get me to turn towards camera. But I had always heard in my uh, limited experience not to look into the camera. So I was doing some cool long blink as I panned past the camera. And uh, <laughs> Ken, Ken gave up on me. He just said, you know what, just turn the other way. It's not that important. I, I guess I thought I saw Harrison Ford do it in another movie. And so I thought it was pretty cool. Here we have the run for your lives. Oops, we forgot the walkie-talkie. Well, I guess that radio is going to have some significance. Someone there that had just been to Mardi Gras. So now we got to hope that the drunk can figure it out. So this, of course, is uh, Screenwriting 101, where just when your heroes are, have figured it out and are about to win the day, it turns totally around against them, and things look bleaker than they ever have. Problem is, Doc finds a little libation. Well, how do you do? <laughs> he had himself a Coke, he'd be in business. He's, uh, he's contemplating it anyway, though. He seems to be a professional here. He'll wait. He figures uh, not dying is a priority. For anyone who cares, here's the lines that I actually read um, in that first open casting call at Newhall Park when I read for Jesse. And then I was, as I mentioned before, wisely recast. It would have been hard-pressed to find somebody uh, bigger than me at age 11 or 12. There's a little hatch just big enough for a kid to crawl through. I know that look. Get it from my mom and she wants me to volunteer for dishes. Keys are in the ignition. Sherry just asked me to read that line like a complete brat, which I was uh, able to do since I probably was one, and uh, she figured I'd be uh, better suited to play the role of Billy Crawley than Jesse Wilson. So here's Jesse climbing out on the truck. Getting his uh, driving instruction here from uh, Tom in the back. You gotta get it started. Turn the key in the ignition. If you've ever driven one of those big U-Haul trucks with a stick, you know it's no fun. And I'm pretty sure an 11-year-old couldn't pull it off, but I'll I'll let him slide. Michael uh, didn't have to perform any stunts to speak of. I think the only time we doubled him was uh, early in the film when he pushed the zombie in the storm train off the ledge. Who's this? Good thing for me, I was nowhere near a moving truck. I was probably uh, having a Coke in the trailer when they when they filmed the scene. What you do see is uh, me standing there and a couple of lights on my face uh, to try and imply that the truck is turning right for me. And then uh, cue the stunt double. But uh, I, of course, just to tell everybody that I, I was the one that went ahead and took the charge on this truck. Coach Hayes was pretty happy with me. Here we go. Driving, driving, driving. Good thing he didn't have to shift. Cue not me. Cue me. Take the charge, Billy. Take the charge. Oh, nice take. He's going to come charging through the wall here in a second. This is bad news. 
And right here, um, I hop up on the hood here, and if you look really carefully in the bottom left-hand corner when Jesse honks, you will see the top of Ken Wiederhorn's head as he pulls me off the truck. So pay attention here, bottom left, right by that cracked glass, you'll see the director's head. There you go. He didn't get credited for that either. He was pretty bummed. Here's where I pick my favorite zombie voice. You told, you told, now you die like me. This uh, next scene that's coming up, uh, for me anyway, is the screwdriver scene, which I uh, rather enjoyed and my uh, mother took great horror in. Um, they had the old uh, rubber screwdriver reverse the film trick for the stab, and then they had a telescoping screwdriver that fit nicely into a uh, mouthpiece in the back of my mouth that had a hole in it so he could smash it into my face. And then uh, as I stagger backwards here, I remember a... Uh, very strong Gary Davis, the stunt coordinator, holding onto my leg so I wouldn't go over the rail. And then, of course, we cut to uh, my stunt double, who was happy to take the dive for me. Jesse's big payoff line there, calling me an asswipe. I'm not sure what this guy's doing there on the back of the trailer. One thing to note, uh, both my stunt double and uh, Jesse's stunt double were adults. There weren't many, many scenes when, when they were needed. Mine was mostly here at the end with that fall and later with the electrocution sequence. He has some uh, squibs on his back. They were not uh, willing to put me at risk for the for the squib sequence. Here's some electrocution. There's Derek again on the right. Dance of the zombies. Uh, I remember this little post-screwdriver chase here. Um, Ken wanted to do something really elaborate with typewriters on wheels and pushing them at me, but I think we just ran out of time here at the end of the day and we had to get the shot in, so I caught up with him quickly. I think it costs $50,000 to have somebody draw these uh, electrical effects. And now seeing it again, I'm not sure it was money well spent. The way they this effect was done was uh, artists actually uh, drew the lines frame by frame. For the electrocution sequence, I was supposed to wear a wetsuit underneath my, uh, my wardrobe, um, but they ended up scrapping that at the last minute. It didn't, uh, didn't, didn't seem to do the trick. Here's a little eye popping, very nice. And I remember this, uh, this falling uh, transformer here. We wanted to do it in one shot, but uh, it ended up getting stuck, so we had to do it in two. I'm uh, showing him his handiwork failed miserably there. I go after him. Now, this effect actually was done twice because uh, this elaborate set, which was built for these uh, large, I don't know what you call them, mm, generator prongs to fall through the roof. We were prepping it the night we were going to shoot it, and one of the uh, stunt guys, in order to help out, went up on top and accidentally lost his footing, and he fell through the glass roof of the set and brought everything down with him. He was fine. He fell into a bag. But we lost the shot that night, of course, and the whole thing had to be rebuilt. Things like that be go, go on all the time. And uh, one of the uh, most infamous zombies in the movie is coming up right here. Cue Thriller, there you go.
There's the melted face makeup. That was a lot of fun. We had a uh, photographer on the set that day, took a lot of cool pictures, so we got to take uh, some of those home after the shoot. That was uh, glass there. I uh, remember laying down very gingerly on the glass. Must have been a fuse, right? And here the army comes in to uh, check out the handiwork. You men, check behind the building. And our heroes get to walk off into the uh, sunrise. No, not quite. Thanks. Still a little shit, but I love you. If you pay attention here, uh, Doc will list uh, several of his favorite drinks as they uh, exit off camera. I mean, well, you know what I mean. Maybe we could have a little glass of something, a little libation. <laughs> Tell me, my son, have you ever had a Shirley Temple? No. Uh, horse's neck? No. Uh, I'm not real sure how the head got here, but someone bothered to bring the head along for conversation. And it ends up right here in the final shot. Voiced by Kenny. I'm not sure how a head has gas, but that's okay. Don't hit a girl when she's down. A little closing blowtorch there. Okay, no more brain. You win. For now. I think this was my last foray in horror. I realized that the only way to stop making horror movies was to just stop. So that's what I did. I luckily was able to find work as a director in episodic television, which is what I did for four or five years while I worked on scripts and kind of tried to pull back from this particular kind of genre category and work on something that, let's say, was more meaningful. I did get a picture made from another script that I co-wrote with someone, and uh, that was A House in the Hills. And that actually was the first film that I had made that uh, I felt I really could call my own. came out exactly the way uh, I had intended. And uh, that was a great feeling and one that is a very difficult one to get, making movies. They never turn out the way you think they will, but at least you can hope that they turn out in a way that you feel good about. It was a lot of fun to do the movie. Uh, even though it was 16 years ago, it, it, it does still come up. I, I get emails every once in a while from people, so I, I appreciate people still watching. It's really a, f a funny phenomenon. I didn't think for a second that it would last longer than my residuals, but it certainly has. I couldn't wait in the theater to see my name on the big screen at the end of the movie here, and they made me wait through all the hairstylists and wardrobe operators and, and wardrobe supervisors and such. It was also really fun doing this commentary, so I hope that fans of the movie got a little bit of information that maybe they didn't have before. See how long I had to wait? It's torture. 13-year-old kid wants to see his name in the lights. Takes forever. There's Derek. I think we're coming up here after the special zombies. And I, I, I did appreciate that they did it in order of appearance. That was nice because then my name was towards the top. There we go. And for those trivia buffs, the V in van is actually lowercase. Anyway, thanks again for watching, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, go check out some of the other features on the DVD. This is uh, Ken Wiederhorn thanking you for watching, and uh, I hope this commentary was of interest.
Limitations and finding a perfect thrill. 